last week, we talked about Paul and Barnabas and their first missionary journey. Kind of finished up talking about the first missionary journey and places they went and things that the Holy Spirit did uh, through them on that first missionary journey. And we're going to pick up in verse 15. If you remember last, uh, excuse me, chapter 15. If you remember last week, they finished by, the, well, they started in Antioch. They kind of made the rounds and then came back through and finished back at Antioch. So they, they had made it back and they were there for some time. And that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 15. So they're back in Antioch, continuing to work in that church, grow that church. They're not the pastors, Paul and Barnabas, you know, they're not the pastors of the Antioch church. They're just kind of workers in the church. You know, they're key leaders in the church that while they're there, they teach, they disciple, they help, and then they get sent out. And then they might be gone for a year or two at a time on a missionary journey, and then they come back to the church in Antioch, and they use their gift there. So that's kind of what's going on here. They're back in Antioch, chapter 15, verse 1. Uh, so while they're back, it says, Some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, According to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So you see this a lot in the New Testament, this mindset. And, you, and so it was just really hard for Jewish people that were so used to being made right with God a certain way, right? You had to do certain things. And now that's being taken away. We're bringing in a group of non-Jewish people and the standards for them just seem so much easier you know, it's just all grace. It's all faith. It's just, so they're having such a hard time with it because a lot of them were kind of, uh, they were kind of mixed in that. You know, in other words, they still followed the law. Even if they believed salvation was by faith and grace, they still followed some of the Jewish laws and traditions and things in their family that they had done for years that hadn't changed. And so they just can't, I mean, if you go back to the Old Testament, you remember like David, when he's talking to Goliath, that was one of the names he called him, right? You uncircumcised Philistine. That was just, when they said that, it was like the sign of you are really, they weren't talking about anatomy. They were talking about you're outside of the covenant. And that, that was the reason they said that. When they said, you uncircumcised Philistine, he said, you're not even in the covenant. I am a covenant son of God, and you are a heathen. You are just lost. You don't have any covenant with God. That was what they meant by that. So these guys are still struggling with that. They're like, these Gentiles are coming in. We want them to be part of the family of God. But you got to at least get them to do, you know, some of these Jewish things that we've been doing for all these years. So they're, they're, they're stuck on something. And I, I want you to get this, okay, because they're stuck on something that God's not stuck on. They're, they're stuck on something that in their mind is just massive, but in God's mind, it's nothing. And I've seen this my whole life. I've seen this through the ministry my whole life. People, Christians, and some of them well-meaning, a lot of them not. But they get stuck on things. Things that they just think are so important. And they, it's like a hill that they're just ready to die on. And look, every church split. The reason there's 500 whatever denominations is all over stuff like this. Somebody got it in their mind, this is how it has to be. And it has to be like this. And if you don't do it like this, then we can't, you're, you're not even saved. We can't even hang out. I mean, you'd be shocked to hear some of the things that I've heard at this church. I mean, some of them you've probably heard yourself too, but 
I mean, I've had people, look, no joke. I've had people come to this church, their families in total disarray, their marriage, their kids, everything in a disaster. They're here. Their marriage starts getting healed. Their kids are going to youth. Their whole family's being restored. They're like God's working in their life and family. Then one time they come to a baptism and they find out that we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Just the way they did it in the Bible, by the way. Uh, wait a minute. I, y'all, y'all don't baptize in the name of Jesus only? Uproot their whole family out of what... Look, when you came, you were in shambles. Like God is is transforming your whole life and family over something so, can I just say, stupid, so dumb, okay? Because the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, people baptize both ways. I'm sorry, you know, tell you, and you see it both ways in the Bible. And they baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They baptize in the name of Jesus. Uh, We know that the Trinity, this one God, you know. So we're not going to get off on that, believe me. But... Over that issue. Don't forget the fact that every service you've been, the presence of God is here. The word of God is here. Your marriage is being touched. Your kids are being touched over that. Similar. Had one person come. Some, one, one thing God wanted to know. I remember he came up to me after a service. He said, do you guys take communion every service? I said, no, we don't take communion every service. We take communion regularly. We don't take communion every service. Oh, I can't be here. This ain't church for me. I'm like, that's what is based on that. I mean, come on, that's crazy. But I've seen this my whole life. And trust me, it is a way that the enemy uses to short-circuit things in people's lives because they get hung up on the minors. And how many of you know, if you've read the Gospels, the Pharisees were notorious for this. And Jesus was so aggravated with them. He, was more, he got more frustrated with the Pharisees than he did any sinner. Religious people that thought a certain way, thought God was a certain way, thought everything had to be a certain way. They put God in a box and everything had to be like this. And this is what Jesus told the Pharisees. He said, you you major on the minors and you minor on the majors. In other words, the things that God really cares about, you count them as small and insignificant. And the stuff that God don't care about at all, you make them like they're a huge mountain. And he said, but the weightier matters of the law, he said, you neglect that. And I don't really know if that's what these guys were doing here, but I, I've seen it my whole life. And I guess what I would say to you is don't be one of those people that gets caught up on that, like, oh, these little, little things. And you go, well, then it's not a little thing. It's a big thing. That's the same thing they were saying. No, circumcision is not a little thing. It's a big thing. Sorry to tell you, in God's mind, it was a little thing at that point. It wasn't, it wasn't anything at that point. He did not, God fully did not expect these people to be circumcised in order to be saved. You're totally not on the same page as God at all. And that's been something that I've noticed in Scripture that's caused me to want to seek God because I never want to get so off and so off in my own little world that God's over here doing something, but I'm all caught up in this and thinking this is super important. I want to be in tune with what God is doing. And that's why we have the Holy Spirit in us that will help us with that if we listen. So... You see this all throughout the Bible. You remember one time where uh, the Pharisees were at it again, and they said something to Jesus about the Sabbath. I mean, think about the logic. The guy had a crippled hand, withered from birth like this. 
the power of God. He prays for him. God, man can't undo that. So the only way that hand is coming correct and being healed is if a supernatural power of God touches it. Well, if he wasn't for doing that on the Sabbath, then he wouldn't have done it, right? If God wasn't for it, he wouldn't have done it. Jesus couldn't have done it without the power of God. So he heals the man. The man's hand comes out. And they got, they're upset because he does something on the Sabbath. And I love what Jesus, I love this statement so much. He said, do you not know that the Sabbath was created for man? That man was not created for the Sabbath? Such a, so much wisdom. I mean, he's Jesus, so shouldn't surprise us. But he, so much wisdom. He said, look, you got to think about why these things were put in place in the first place. Okay? God created the Sabbath because he loves man. The Sabbath was a time of rest, and its, its purpose is to really serve man. Because he knew man would just work himself to the bone and just... So he, he gave him a Sabbath day to follow. But you've turned it into something that is burdening man. Something that was meant to give man rest. The intention of it was to give man rest as God rested. He said, you've turned it into a burden. He said, the, the Sabbath was created for man. Man was not created for the Sabbath. But you live like man was created to serve the Sabbath. But the Sabbath was created to serve man. And so we get these things all the time in Scripture... And so, uh, you know, this is going right at the birth of the church. I mean, in Acts, this is happening. Um, all through the epistles, almost in every epistle, Paul has to address something like this. Some crazy idea the church has got in their head. Some crazy person coming through, preaching some off doctrine, weird doctrine, you know. It's almost in every epistle that it has to be addressed. And so right at the birth of the church... It's, this is going on. So, they're, they're, and look at how it causes division. I mean, you look at the church at Antioch, powerful church, planting churches through Paul and Barnabas all over the region. Man, God, you know, amazing move of God. Now you got division stirred up in the church. Some guys come in, they start talking about this non-issue to God. And before you know it, I don't know, 25% of the church maybe, 30% of the church is going, well, wait a minute, is this an issue? And now they're discussing it among themselves. Guess what? We're totally sidetracked. Totally sidetracked off of what we're supposed to be doing. We have a mission to reach the world, disciple people, you know, affect the kingdom of God. Now what are we doing? We're infighting. Has this changed much? Because... I mean, this is how churches have been since then. I don't know if we ever learned this lesson. And praise God, we never really had this at One Life. I give praise to God for that. But we don't, we don't tolerate that because that's the age-old strategy of the enemy is church members turn on each other. Well, we're arguing about this, talking about this. Well, you know, you said this, they said that. We're totally distracted off the mission, just bickering, fighting, bickering, fighting. And it's right from the beginning. You see that it was, it was an issue. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Verse 2, after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. <laughs> How many of you would have wanted to debate with Paul? I, that dude, I mean, his mind was just, you know. 
After no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. First of all, i got two thoughts when I read this. Uh, they are in Antioch, and Jerusalem is about 300 miles away. So, number one thought, praise God for email. You know, now, because they had this question. It's so simple. Just, But anyway, they had to get on their donkeys, 300 miles. They're going to go to Jerusalem, and they've got to talk to Peter, James, John, they got to talk to the big shots and they got to find out, hey, what do y'all think about this? We're having this problem. What do y'all think about it? Again, look at the incredible distraction this is. Paul and Barnabas, they just got back from a missionary journey. They're trying to disciple of the church. They have to load up, go 300 miles away to go talk to Peter and John to get this issue settled. How many know Satan is just so happy watching all this go on? Everybody's arguing, talking. Now, Paul, they're off on something else. And I, it's like if Satan can't stop you or, or you know, get you to leave God and go away from God, he's just as happy to get you distracted off on something else, wasting time, wasting everybody else's time off of the mission. That's why we don't, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to say it in a rude way like that, but we don't put up with that around here because it's such a distraction. And it's like, man, if you have that thing on you like that, you know what? There's other places to go uh, because we have a mission to do. It's too important. It's too big. And we don't have time to argue over little stuff like that. And uh, we love you, but, you know, there's, there's plenty of places for you to be. So... They, are, they head off to Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas, and uh, they, they take this question to them. Verse 3. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. So I love that about Paul because he said, well, if I'm going to be sidetracked doing something else, I'm going to just turn it into like a little missionary journey. This is not considered one of Paul's missionary journeys, by the way. Actually, I have seen some people consider Paul to have four missionary journeys. I think they count this one because he's on the way to Jerusalem and along the way he's preaching and along the way so it wouldn't be total waste. So when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, so they, they heard you know, why they were there, and they said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Again, not in tune. Not in tune. Now remember, these people are being led by Peter, James, John, Paul. And they're still way off in left field. Way off, way separate from, from what God was doing. And this should terrify you as a Christian, honestly. The, the idea that you could be off on something so far over here and carrying about something so far, and God is shaking his head going, what are you doing? I do, I do not care about that. Get back over here where, I, where I'm at and what I'm doing. And that's always been like a guardrail for me because I, I don't want to do that. And there's been times, because I'm a researcher, man, I love to research and study things out. There's been times I've got off on a subject, you know, and I'm just researching. I've got piles of notes, pages of notes, you know, because I use a, a, a digital system to save all my articles and everything. And 
I've got just like hundreds of things that I've saved, and I'm thinking, man, I'm going to preach this. And at some point I go, I'm not even ever going to preach that. That is a total distraction. I mean, it's great information. Glad I had it. Glad I learned it for myself. But this, God's not speaking this to the church. This is just me. And we have to be sensitive to things like that. Like, and the way it may present itself with you is you just something that you care about, something you think is so super important, you've got to ask yourself, does God care about it? One of the kind of boundaries that I've looked at for that in my own life is how much does the New Testament talk about it? In other words, are there entire chapters devoted to it? Are there entire books devoted to it? Or like there are a couple little verses. Is it a little bit obscure? Because if the Bible was written by the Holy Spirit, then he could have devoted as much time to it as he wanted. So he devoted the time to the things that really mattered, right? The things that were very important to him. So sometimes people will get off on these questions about, I could pick any number of topics, say, you know, blood moons or some weird thing or whatever. And I'm like, you know, that's just not a big topic in the New Testament. It's not like some big, it doesn't, the Bible does not devote a lot of ink and pages to that. So let's stay focused on what it does devote time to, right? So they said it is necessary, they're convinced, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter, and after there had been much debate. So again, this is going back and forth. And they're arguing over this. They're talking about this. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving the Holy Spirit just as he did. Now here's what he's saying there. What he is saying is, no one can deny the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that happened in their lives. And, and this was the same argument Peter used in the beginning with Cornelius and all of them. But he, here's what he's saying. He's saying, I can't give the Holy Spirit to people. That God has to do that. And if God from heaven gave the Holy Spirit to them when they were not circumcised, they, they didn't follow any of the Jewish law. In other words, how did they come to God? Well, they came to God by faith, and God gave them the Holy Spirit. So... He was pleased with them. He was happy with them. And so Peter begins to explain this. And I want to keep reading that. But I, I want you to look first at Mark chapter 7. Because I want to, I want to show you this uh, with the Pharisees as well. The same mindset and how they looked at things. Mark chapter 7. But see, these, these, uh, these things happen from time to time, right? Because it happens sometimes, maybe more modern topics in our time, it happens over worship. If you remember, that never, I, I was never really part of a church like that, but I had a lot of friends that were in the Baptist church. And I remember for a long time, uh, a lot of my friends were part of churches that the churches were trying to decide, well, do we stick with hymns or do we... Do we start singing more modern songs? And I can imagine it was a lot like this. A lot of debate, a lot of discussion, a lot of talk, trying to figure it out. And 
again, it's one of those things where if you just read the New Testament, you find out there's, nothing, there's not a scripture that said you have to sing hymns. Right? There's not a scripture that said you have to sing modern worship songs either. So it's not really something we should be fighting over or, or, or arguing over, right? But they will. People will argue and they will talk and they do it over, wor- over worship, over, you know, baptism. I mentioned communion, over speaking in tongues, over tithing, over tattoos and all kind of stuff. Whatever you want to pick, people can argue over it, you know. I mean, I've seen churches like, you know, nah, no, no Christian ought to be dancing, you know. Well, hey, half the places you go to dance, that might be true. Maybe you shouldn't be there, but, you know, but things like that. Well, there's a lot the Bible leaves up to a person's conscience. It's not all just spelled out in Scripture of do this, don't do this, don't. And actually, the the higher way that the New Testament lays out is a person's conscience. And the way it's explained in Scripture is your conscience is not my conscience. And my conscience is not your conscience. And there may be something that grieves you, but it doesn't grieve me and vice versa. Now, we're not talking about things that are clearly spelled out in the Word. It's not like, well, it doesn't grieve me when I lie. Well, that, you know, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about things that are actually left up to conscience. A lot of, a lot of it is not left up to conscience. A lot of it is spelled out very clearly. Don't do this. Do this. There are other things that aren't that clear. And so... It's not spelled out, and actually it's how God wants us to live is with the law written on our hearts. In other words, as we live and we're grieved by something, we go, oh, I don't want to do that. But here's what the church loves to do. That bothers me. I'm not going to do that. That must be sin. So any Christian who's doing it, they must be sinful. And so we use what the Holy Spirit was grieving us about to judge somebody else. You see, there's a lot that I don't do uh, in my life that I stay away from uh, that just is not part of my life. It's not sin at all. It's not sin. The Bible doesn't say it's sin. But I don't do it because it's something the Holy Spirit has spoke to me about. But I don't get up here and preach that to you as if it's something you're supposed to do because that's a matter of conscience. And we have to know, we have to know the difference. So that's a whole other sermon. We could actually spend a lot of time on that. But Mark chapter 7, verse 1. Now, and the reason that's important, though, is because if you think about the Pharisees, that was kind of where they went wrong. If the Pharisees <clears throat> were started, the, the group of the Pharisees that Jesus just deals with so much in the Gospels, <clears throat> the Pharisees were started out of a very zealous passion to follow the law. I mean, they, they wanted to obey God. They wanted to follow his word so, so closely. But what happened over the years of the Pharisees was it became kind of an outdoing contest. Oh, you, <clears throat> you pray an hour a day? Well, I'm going to pray two hours a day. And this guy said, well, oh, you're going to pray two hours a day? Well, I'm going to do two hours a day on my knees with calluses. And then... One guy said, well, I memorized the book of Genesis. Another guy said, well, I memorized the book of Genesis and Exodus. And it just kind of became that, that type of thing where it's not about God at all. It's just about me looking good and being better than you. <laughs> you know. So the Pharisees started doing that. Now, what they, it might have been that one guy 
you know, was convicted to do it a certain way. But where they went wrong is when they started putting that on other people. And that's what Jesus talked to him about. He says, you, you love to heap heavy burdens on people. And so instead of it being something that drew people close to God, it was an obstacle for people to get to God. Because if somebody walks in this door, and this is why, for example, we don't have people come down to the altar to accept Christ. And people may think that's a, a simple thing. They go, you know, well, it doesn't matter if you do or if you don't do it. I, I agree <clears throat> that that might be the case. But for us, um, I don't see anywhere in my Bible where there is a test of salvation to come down in a room full of strangers to somehow prove your faith that, that what you were doing is real. And for example, if, if there's a sinner on a Sunday morning and we got a room full of people and God's been moving on them all service. They, I mean, during worship, the Holy Spirit's moving on them. During the Word, the Holy Spirit's moving on them. I mean, just God's working on them. They're like at the point of salvation. And I get up here and say, and maybe they've been in a church where they know what's coming next. I got to go down to the front. I got to walk down. I got to stand in front of all these people. And why, why, that's not, a, you know what, that's nowhere in the Bible that, that, that you have to test somebody's faith to see if they if you really mean it, you'll come down and stand in front of all these people. Never happens. Never happens once. Guess what? Not saying it's a bad tradition. It's a tradition of man. And we love to look at the Pharisees and go, oh, look, they, they had all these traditions of man and they put the traditions of man above the traditions of God. Listen, people, don't, don't kid yourself, today, People would leave a church over that issue, even though it's tradition of man. Not a, not a, not a scripture. <laughs> not the Bible at all. Matter of fact, on the day of Pentecost, 5,000 people saved. Not one of them came down to the front. Hey, not one of them raised their hand. They, they just preached. They, they preached the gospel message, and guess what happened? Faith rose in people's heart, and God began to do miracles all across the crowd. And the Bible says 5,000 people were saved. 3,000 another day. Nobody was called down the front. Nobody even said a sinner's prayer. That'll kind of blow a lot of people's theology. Nobody said a sin. Peter didn't lead anybody in a sinner's prayer. Why? Because salvation is not a formula. You don't have to come down to the front to be saved. You don't have to pray a sinner's prayer to be saved. Salvation is something that happens in the heart. And when you believe, when, when faith comes... The word of God comes and faith rises in your heart and you connect to God and you pour your heart out to God and, and you, yeah, of course you say that, God, I, I submit my life to you. I believe in Jesus. There's a transformation that happens and there's not a formula, okay? I'm just using that as an example. If we really started pointing them out and I could point them out, if we really started pointing them out, you would find out how much of church is tradition of man versus how much is Bible, how much is scripture. And nothing wrong with having tradition of man as long as we recognize it for what it is. See, nothing wrong with having people come down to the front if that's what you feel like you're supposed to do. But just understand and make sure you realize that's a tradition of man so it doesn't need to be on the same plane or the same level as Scripture. Right? So the Pharisees were notorious for this. Mark 7 is a good example. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him, that's Jesus, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. 
For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. Now, let me ask you a question. First of all, how many of you wash your hands before you eat? Hey, I do. I wash mine. It's not a bad idea, right? That's not the point of this. It's not a bad idea. Nothing wrong with the fact they wanted to wash their hands. The, the problem is that they looked at it as a standard of holiness. In other words, if you don't do it, you're unclean before God. And guess what? That was nowhere in the law, which, by the way, I think the law is 613 commandments. Plenty of, in, plenty of things to follow. Plenty of very obscure things to follow. I mean, he was very detailed. We could talk about some of the sh- kind of strange things that are in the law that you have to follow. And a lot about cleanliness and a lot about washing. But you know what's not in there? Anything about washing your hands before you eat. Is it a good idea? Yeah, real good idea. <laughs> but it's not a scripture. And it's not Bible. So Jesus is going to address that. Let me apply it to our situation. I'm going to use this. Look, I am not for, I don't have any tattoos, okay? It's not about, ta- not about tattoos. But I want to use it as an example because it's one that ruffles people's feathers a little bit. It's one that in a lot of traditions that, that they, people look at like it's a sin. Is it a good idea not to get a tattoo? Well, in my opinion, it is. I mean, we have uh, lots of people that have tattoos in our church. I, if you have one, I don't have a problem with it. Okay, if you want to do that. But is it a good idea? Is it a bad idea? Well, we could sit up here and debate whether it's a good idea or a bad idea, but it's not sin. Why? Because the Scripture doesn't restrict it. So if a person chooses to do it, guess what? They're not less holy than you. Does that make sense? It's not... And you go... Well, I just don't think it is. And you could try to find things in the Old Testament, blah, blah, blah. But that's not, okay, not, that's not what that's talking about. But in the New Testament, nothing, nothing about it. We could go down the list of a few items, some that would make people really upset. But see, if God wanted it in there, he would have put it in there. And here's what I want, here's what you have to understand. You have to understand the difference between your personal beliefs, your personal convictions... And what you think is a good idea, and the difference between that versus what is a command of Scripture. See, my children don't have uh, cell phones. They don't have social media. They don't have any of that. Why? Because I think it's a good idea. It's not Scripture. And if your kids have it, I don't look at your kids like, oh, they're not holy. You know, my kids are holier than yours or whatever. No, that's a decision that we made that I think was a good idea, but it's not Scripture. So I'm not going to hold that up as a standard now to, like, judge everybody else that I see. You know, um, there's times in our life where, you know, we didn't have certain media in our home, maybe TV or other things like that, you know. that's not a standard of holiness. And that's where people get off, and that's where people have been very frustrated with the church uh, legalism and things like that because you take something that might have been a good idea for you and something God was speaking to you 
and you tried to apply it to everybody, like if you're really holy, you'd be doing this. Well, you're just like the Pharisees if you do that. And we got to have enough confidence in the Holy Spirit that's on the inside of every person. I mean, I'm not your God. I'm not your Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. And if you don't listen to him, why would you listen to me? So if, I mean, if you're not going to listen to the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, what else am I going to do? I'm going to come try to beat you over the head with it and make you see it and make you do it. Look, you have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. You have the Word of God. I have the Word of God. And we're all pursuing this thing together. But what I'm not going to do, uh, and, and I had somebody say, well, what are you going to tell your kids about tattoos then? You know, Well, I'll tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to lie to them and tell them it's a sin. I'm not going to lie to them and tell them the Bible, well, the Bible says this. Because one day they're going to read it for themselves. They'll go, wait a minute, that ain't in there. <laughs> no, here's what I'd rather do. I'd rather have a discussion with you, uh, common sense, principles from the Word, things that I, that I think apply, but it's not a specific point. I'd like you to see it for yourself, and I'd like you to make your own decision about it, not because I forced you to do it. I want you to make a good decision after we've had conversations about it and things like that. And that goes with a lot of things, a lot of things um, that Scripture doesn't speak out on. Let me put it to you like this. For example, okay, this, this water bottle right here is not good or bad. It's just neutral. Now, if I, take a, if I open it and take a sip of it, it's good. If I, if I kind of position it like this and I throw it at Sullivan and hit him right between the eyes, it's bad. Now, because, but itself is just neutral, right? It's not, it's neutral. And the Bible is very clear about that. I love this scripture in Titus. It says, to the pure, all things are pure. To the defiled, all things are defiled. In other words, a pure person is going to use this the right way. A wicked person, sinful person, like Dennis the Menace type guy is going to take this and he's going to use it as a wicked tool. Why? Because to the pure, all things are are pure. To the defiled, all things are defiled. Money is a great example. Money is neutral. It's not good or bad. It's just neutral. Money in the hands of a pure person A person who's saved, a person who's born again is going to use it one way. Money in the hands of a defiled person is going to be used a completely different way. What about the internet? The internet is neutral. And to a saved, born again, pure person, the internet is going to be used for pure purposes. For an unsaved, wicked person... It's going to be used for wicked purposes. And we could go down the list on a lot of things like that. A lot of things are not inherently bad. They're actually neutral. But it depends on the heart. And if all you do is behavior modification and you never change the heart, then you haven't done, you haven't done anything. So as, I, as we raise our children, that's a big focus for us. It's not just to curb your behavior and get you to have all the right behaviors because then you're just cleaning the outside of the cup. What I want is your heart to change. And when your heart is changed, you'll have the right behavior. But a lot of people don't know how to do that, so their only thing is, well, you're, just, you're not going to do this in my house. Well, that's fine. You're not going to do it in my house, but what are they going to do the second they get out if there was never a heart change in here? So behavior modification is actually not the goal. A strict standard of just 
everything looks right on the outside. Because that, that is why you see people go nuts when they turn 18. Because <laughs> they lived in a house with a heavy hand and they had to follow certain behavior rules. And then when they got out, their heart had never changed and then they just went crazy. That's not the goal. That's not helpful. That's not what we want. And it's actually not the gospel. The gospel is all the opposite. The gospel is all about heart change. You see, that's why a lot of these things are left up to conscience. Because God knows, if I just lay down a bunch of law, and you, just, you start just doing those things, that actually doesn't mean that you've done any change. You know, just because you do everything, and you look a certain way on the outside, if your heart hasn't changed, we haven't actually reached the goal. We haven't actually gotten to the point that, that we want to be in. I mean, how many of you, you know, I'm thinking if I, if I walk in my house and I look in my kid's room and it's a mess and I say, hey, what are you doing? Go, go clean your room. And they keep, you know, playing video games or something like that. I say, hey, if you don't go clean your room, you're not playing video games for a week. Okay. And then they slink in there and do it. Is that the goal? That's not the goal, right? That's awful. I mean, because I know they know, everybody knows the only reason you did that is because I threatened you. Not because you care about clearing, not because you understand the concept of respecting me and respecting your mother and respecting this house and respecting this property. You didn't get that. You didn't get any of that. You just went in there and did something because I threatened you. Well, that's not really going to change. You're actually not accomplishing that much by doing that. Rather, it's a little bit longer but I'd like to go through the process of having a conversation and help them understand, hey, here's what your mom does. Here's how she goes out of her way. Here's how she takes care of you. Here's what we do for you. Can you keep your room clean? It's, and our kids are good kids. So when you have those conversations, they understand. They go, yeah, that's, that's right. You know, yeah, I, I want to do that. Well, that's a totally different thing. It's the same thing with Christians. If we get up here every Sunday and we go, you can't do this. You don't need to do that. You're a sinner if you do that. I'm going to say this. There's a lot of people, a lot of men specifically, that don't want to come to church because they, they have, when they think about church, all they think about is traditions of men that actually aren't Bible. And they think, well, if I go to church, I got to give up this. I got to give up that. I got to quit, you know, I got to quit cursing. I got to quit drinking. I got to quit dancing. I got to quit watching. I got to quit doing, doing, doing. Did you know that's not what Christianity is about? Christianity is not about stop doing, stop doing, stop doing, stop doing. Christianity is about having a transformational relationship with Jesus Christ. And I, it's sad because it's been taught a certain way. And actually, there's a lot of men, a lot of people that would probably come to church if they realized, hey, just come in, okay, let God transform you here. And then as he begins, there's probably a few things you, gotta, you need to drop off immediately. But the rest of it, just let God work on you over time. Let it be a process of sanctification. And no, you don't have to show up one Sunday and your whole life and everything you love and everything you think is fun is just out the door. That's actually not Christianity. But sadly, it's been, it's been taught like that. And it's been taught incorrectly. Because some of these things that the Bible does not major on, we made it the whole thing, right? We made it the, the, whole, the whole thing. When it was just not saying there shouldn't have been some conversations around those things, not saying there's not a few verses about a few of those things. There are and they should be talked about, but they're not the cross, right? They're not the gospel. 
They're not Jesus, the Son of God. They're not the resurrection. They're not about being filled with the Holy Spirit. They're not about being transformed. And I'll tell you this. I'd rather have somebody come in this church and get truly born again. I'm talking about radically saved, heart transformed, born again, but still have a few little issues that got to be worked out. And as they come Sunday after Sunday, month after month, year after year, that there's, a tra- there's a progress. There's a, there's a transformation that happens over time. And meanwhile, the other believers ought to understand this process that everybody doesn't look the same when they come in church. Some people got a few rough edges still that need to be... Uh, <laughs> I got to tell this story because it's so amazing. Um, I was, I took some guys on a backpacking trip. (laughs) It's one of my favorite stories of the ministry. Uh, And after you hear it, you're going to wonder about me. But anyway, took some guys on a backpacking trip and we were doing some rappelling off of this really high, you know, cliff face. And this one person had a severe fear of heights. It's so great. And we're on the edge, and he's clipped in. He's got his harness on and everything. And, and, and literally, he's shaking. I mean, just, just, he's just his whole body's shaking. He's so, and so he's trying to clip everything in. And, then, and so at some point, I don't remember what, but he said, oh, in front of me, his pastor. Okay, I'm not, beep, bleep. You know, he was, and he curses. And then he said, he said, he said, oh, God, not only am I going to die, but I cussed in front of my pastor. He said, you know. So, so, so. <laughs> I said, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay, you know. So I don't even know why I told that story. I can't even remember. But I guess I was talking about rough edges. Like some people have, you know, okay, a few little things here. But look, uh, let's focus on what really matters to God. Should certain things fall off? Should cert- Yes, but as the Holy Spirit leads you, how many of you 10 years ago, there are things that you wouldn't do today, and 10 years ago, you weren't, you weren't convicted by it, but it's a, the Holy Spirit shows you as you grow, as you mature, as you move in the faith, and there ought to be a lot of grace and mercy in the church for people that come in at different places. It's another reason why people don't like to come to church, because they have a, a thing in their mind that everybody there is already perfect. Everybody there is already so far ahead of me, and everyone's going to see all of my flaws and problems, and I don't know the lingo, and I don't talk like everybody, and I don't know the songs, and I don't know where the verses are, and I mispronounce the books, you know, and I got to look in the table of contents when the pastor says, turn here. That's, that's beautiful. That should be part of it. I mean, that should be expected. That should be the norm, because there should be always people coming in at different levels that aren't where we're at that are just, just saved and, and don't even know the books of the Bible. And when you say turn here, they don't know if it's in the Old Testament or New Testament because they just got a Bible a few weeks ago. And so people still have, when that's the case, they still have issues. They still have things in their life. They still have wrong mindsets. And that's a pro- all of that is a, a process. And the church, to, in my opinion, the church has done a really bad job of helping people understand that and not only helping church members understand that but helping new people that come in understand that that this is a place filled with grace mercy and help for you not people that are ready to you know look at any little thing in your life and point it out and you're wrong here and you need to change this and 
all that happens, and there's a lot of change that happens, but, but, but understand it's not part of your acceptance f- from God, and it's not part of your, sal- it's not necessarily part of the salvation. It's just once you get saved, yeah, there is a process of becoming like Christ, and it takes time. So the Pharisees were very, very impressed with themselves, and they thought Jesus was going to be on their side. They said, you know, why do your disciples uh, not wash their hands? Uh, this is verse 5. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? You see, they even know it's tradition of the elders. They didn't say, why don't they walk according to the law of Moses? They said, why do they not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but instead eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of men. Now, please understand, the Pharisees are not the only ones who are responsible for this uh, and guilty of this. This is a major problem in the church and has been for a long time. What? This, this statement that he made. Teaching as doctrine. What does that word doctrine mean? It means the tenets of faith. The, the, the scriptural, biblical tenets of the faith. You're, you're teaching something that man made up that man said was a law or man said was important, but you're teaching it like it's doctrine. See, and I'm not ever going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I may have my own opinions about stuff. We've mentioned a few tonight. But I'm not going to get up here and say something is a sin when it's not or you know, harp on something that is not, not sin that the Bible doesn't teach. No, what would that, that would be teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. So we have to separate what is the tradition and commandment of men or denominations or church versus what is the doctrine of the Word of God? And those two things are different. And, and then he warns them this powerful thing. He says, if you're not careful, you will actually leave the commandment of God over this issue. In other words, you will leave the commandment of God as you try to hold to the tradition of men. And I could talk about, and I, you know, it's never my intention to, uh, you know, call out anyone or any particular domin- denomination or anything like that. But there are denominations that are like that, that they, they actually do a better job at driving people away than they do of drawing people in because they've got so many traditions of men. Well, you've got to follow this, you've got to dress like this, got to cut your hair like this, got to blah, 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 on and on and on. Guess what? Those are all traditions of men. And all they are are obstacles that are keeping people from God. They're not drawing people to God. They're keeping people from God. And so what I want you to know tonight is a few things. One and most important is about your own relationship with God. Okay? I want you to know how God sees you. I want you to know how valuable you are to Him. I want you to know... Uh, how merciful and compassionate and gracious God is with all of his people. And that when you 
sin or you miss or you have something in your life that you're dealing with and and you need you need work, you need help with it. Listen, God, you're not the first person. You're not the first person to deal with that and walk with that. All of God, God is used to having knuckleheads as kids. He's very used to it. And the whole point of the cross, the whole the whole reason that Jesus had to come was because no one could live the law perfectly. That was the whole re- if, if If people could have done it, then there would have been no point of Jesus coming. Look, if you really understand the message of the Bible, what's going on, the law was given. Nobody could do it. Hundreds of years, thousands of years, people failing, 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 and finally God just said, I'm going to do it for them. <laughs> they can't do it. I'm going to send Jesus. He's going to be perfect. He's going to fulfill the law. That's what the Bible said, that he fulfilled the law perfectly. He fulfilled the law first. The debt that they owed, the price that they paid, I'm going to pay it. I'm just going to die in their place. That's the gospel. The whole gospel message is man could not do it. And so Jesus had to come and do it. And not only did he have to do it as far as living the law, he had to die in your place and pay the price that you should have paid for being a knucklehead. He paid it for you, and he said, I cannot make it any easier. I cannot make it any easier than this. All you have to do is believe in me and accept this sacrifice on your behalf, and I'm going to just gift you salvation. Because I'm done with y'all trying to earn it. Y'all are so bad at that. I am done with that. I'm done with you trying to earn it. I'm just going to make it a totally 100% free gift. That's why it's called the good news. So if that's what salvation is. Now, now look, y'all come to this church. Y'all know how much we talk about improving, changing, doing. Yeah, we talk about all of that. But it, but it has to be founded in this understanding. And that's why from time to time we got to come back and meditate here for a while and go, yeah, we want to prove. Yeah, we want to grow. Yeah, we want to stop doing this. Yeah, we want to do more of this. Yeah, we want to get better and better and better. Why? Because we have a big job to do and we have a lot of people to reach. And if we're just wallowing around in our sin, we're not going to be very effective. But we don't do that. We don't, we don't make changes, improve and read and study and pray. We don't do that to earn salvation. We do it because we want to get better. We do it because we love God, but we're not trying to earn his approval. He's already proven that you have his approval. If you're a Christian and you're saved and the blood of Jesus is on your life, you have the approval because Christ died in your place. So you're not doing those things to try to earn salvation, yet we do them, but we do them out of love for God. Uh, You know, just like a, and it's so simple, really. I mean, just like a marriage. Right? I, don't, I don't do nice things for my wife because I'm trying to earn her love. I just want her to stay married to me. You know, I clean the dishes and I get her a card on her birthday. I do, and I just, because I just want her to love me and I want her to think, you know, no, I understand she loves me. And even if she don't, she made vows and so she's committed. I got it. All right. But I'm not doing those things actually to earn her love. I'm actually doing them because I love her. I just, I want you to be happy. I want you to be blessed. I want to do them in service of you because I love you. That's the same as a Christian. We don't do these things for God so he'll approve or he'll we'll get his favor or we'll get his love. Look, you already got all that. And listen, God's vows that he's made to you, God's covenant that he's made to you are way stronger than the vows you made as a married couple. Even, even the commitment you have to your own children pales in comparison 
to what God has for you and how God feels towards you. So you're not trying to earn that. You have that, and now out of that love, just, just live. Live the, live the Christian life. Live the biblical life. Grow, change, develop. Yeah, you know, transform. Yes, absolutely. But not to get salvation, but so that you can be more effective on this planet. So that's number one. I want you to know how much God loves you and cares for you and, and why we actually change and do the things that we do. Secondly, and, and as important, this, what we're talking about, should transform how we think and interact when we show up to church. When we show up to church on a Sunday, we need to have the awareness that every person who walks in that door is at a different place, and a lot of people are very ashamed. They're very insecure to walk into a church because they've been taught wrong, and they've heard these things their whole life, and they, they think God's mad at them. They think every... You know, it's like you walk in and you feel almost like transparent. Everybody knows what I was doing last night. I don't know how. Somebody, somehow they know. You know, the pastor knows, and, they, and so they're insecure and all that. But look, our job is to communicate love, acceptance, and go, hey, we're just glad you're here. We're just glad you're here. We're glad you're in the presence of God. Let God change you. Let the Word of God change you. And we're going to show you grace and mercy uh, in your process as you as you grow and as you change at your pace and all of that. And that's the environment. And, we, and look, we already have that at One Life. I, I hear it all the time. I hear people, man, the people are so friendly and kind, and I felt right at home from day one, and that's, that's beautiful. That's how it should be. But Jesus made people feel like that. It was the Pharisees who made people feel ostracized. Oh, we're not good enough. Oh, we're not whole. No one felt like that around Jesus. That's why he could hang out with sinners and tax collectors and other people because they all felt comfortable being around him because he wasn't condemning them. Now, he would say what he needed to say to them, but they, 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 they could feel it was with love. They could feel it was for their best, with their own best interest in mind. And that's the kind of church that I want us to be. Number one, I want us to walk in that as individuals, but then I want us to demonstrate that and show that to others that come into the church. Amen.